0: Please turn with me to um, Romans chapter 12. I'll not be reading verses one and two. Uh, we'll start at verse at verse three. But I do want to remind you um, of the five points of uh, verses um, one and two that set up the teaching for this morning so beautifully. And that is that um, um, there is, first of all, verse 1 tells us is that there is no Christian living apart from the mercies of God. You can do nothing in your home, in the church, in the world apart from the mercies of God. You offer yourself as a living sacrifice. We might even say, fattened up by the Gospel. We're ready to offer ourselves on an altar. Not that we would lose our lives literally, but we would be willing to lay down our lives to die for those around us. The third point we see in verse 2 is, do not be conformed To this world. Do not allow the world to squeeze you into its own mold. Instead, be transformed. And it starts with the renewing of your mind, thinking God's thoughts after Him. And then you live out in your experience. You live out in obeying God. You discover. It is revealed to you again. He points out to you again in your obedience through your experience how good his law is and how acceptable it is, pleasing to him, but also very good for you and good for the people around you. It's perfect. It's perfect. Now let's pick it up, uh, pick it up in verse three. Uh, for um, by the grace um, that, is, uh, that is given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as um, in one body, we have many members and the members do not have all the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. God's holy word. Continue to speak your holy word to us, O Father. Yesterday, a number of us were uh, were at the men's breakfast, uh, enjoying a great meal, enjoying also some some uh, uh, some testimonies from uh, Cito Mendez and another guy. And uh, as we're cleaning up, um, uh, the cook, the cook, who you can hear back there, love of the story, the the, the cook said to me, "Glad you're doing the dishes. I hate doing the dishes." And I said, I'm glad you did the cooking, because I couldn't do it. I'm glad to roll up my sleeves and get messy and dirty in over there by the sink. One, one body, different members. One body, different responsibilities and gifts and capabilities. One of you, and I don't know who it was, recommended that uh, I read the book, Boys in the Boat. And I want to talk about that throughout this message, woven in. Boys in the boat. It, it's a story about the Washington University of Washington Huskies, um, eight-man uh, crew team, eight-man in, in a crew uh, in, in, a, in a skull uh, in the mid in the mid thirties. Um, now that is a, that is a feather-light little boat. And you've got eight guys stretched out in that crew, in that in that skull, uh with a coxswain uh there in in the back. And each of the rowers um, has his hands on one of the oars. And then they're alternating, one on the port side, one on the starboard, and they alternating back and forth, as you've got four guys then on each side rowing uh rowing that uh, that, that that boat. Um, they are pushing off with their legs as well so that they can get more power into each stroke as the seat sort of slides back and forth with them there. And one mistake by one of the rowers can affect the whole boat. It is so easy for your oar to scrape over the top of the water and not, not dig in. But it's also possible that your oar can dig in too deeply and it, that can slow, slow you down. One mistake is costly For the boat. Now they had their eyes on the 1936 Olympics, which would take place in Berlin. But get it, this is this is Seattle, Washington, and and this kind of rowing was uh, was really developed on the Thames River in London, and it was for the elite. Uh, It is it is it was designed for and, and and populated by the upper classes. And in, in our own country, the, the great schools that were involved in this kind of rowing were the Eastern schools. They were Ivy League. And, and these guys were from out west. And by the when this was going on, Seattle, believe it or not, was just 65 years old. So these guys were rough outdoorsmen. They, they were new at this sport, and yet they became a team. As they were learning how to, how to row, in particular row together. I'm going to come back to this. We'll, we'll see a little bit later on how they did. But our, our purpose this morning is very simple, that you would serve together under grace in your church family. Very simple. Serve together under grace in your church family. By God's mercy, we have said that we fulfill our calling. By Only by His mercy do we fulfill His calling. We think about our responsibilities in the church... We also think about, and we'll see at the end of this chapter, uh, the responsibility and the call that we have in terms of our personal relationships, what we might call the graces, that our love would be genuine and so forth. That's an evidence of the grace of God in our lives. And you might be a little surprised. Why is it that, that Paul here is beginning with the church relationships? You know, we think about when someone becomes a Christian, Uh, One of the first things we want to do is, is get them involved in personal quiet time. Have them reading their Bibles, learning how to pray. We're interested in their personal disciplines, and they are good and right. It is appropriate for us to read the Bible and pray. But Paul doesn't start there. In the New Testament, when you were baptized, when you became a Christian, you were baptized into the church. And it says in Acts, and such and such a number were added to the church that day. Not such and such a number started reading their Bibles in their living rooms. You see, we are living. Together under the mercies of God. That is a corporate thing. We are not floating individuals in our little mini rafts. We're together. Three things I want to mention out of this text. First of all, first of all, in um, renewing our minds. First two. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds? In renewing of our minds, it starts, verse 4 says, with our pride. Checking our pride. I want to read that from the Phillips translation. Um, As your spiritual teacher, I give this piece of advice to each one of you. Don't cherish exaggerated ideas of yourself or your importance. But try to have a sane estimate of your capabilities by the light of the faith that God has given to you all. There are in, in verse 3 there, there are four what we might call thinking words. Paul's interested here in the renewing of our minds, and it begins it begins with our pride. He, he, he says. He he says, um, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with um, uh, with sober thinking. This is the grace that was given to Paul as an apostle to submit to God in church life. We do tend to exalt ourselves, don't we? (laughs) But we are a transformed mind is a humble mind it's how easy it is to have too high a view of ourselves and to keep us from taking our rightful seat in the boat if you can't have if if you can't have his seat you might look at someone with envy if you can't have her seat well then you'll just take no seat and stay out of the boat pride is easy False modesty the other, is, is perhaps just as easy. We can be down on ourselves and we can think, well, I don't have anything to offer. I, there's no rightful seat that I should have in this boat. It's just, I'm not, I'm not really capable. I'm not able. I'm not as wise as she is. I'm, I'm, I don't know as much as he does. But do you see how similar both pride and this low esteem and this, low, this false modesty are? See how, see how similar they are? They are both rooted in comparing yourself with others. Some you enjoy looking down on. Others you're intimidated as you're looking up. But in both cases you are missing the reality uh, that, uh, that, that your value and your gifts are by the mercies of God. Amen. Not compared to other people. By the mercies of God. And boasting robs God of glory. But so does taking a low view of yourself. And what you can do. So have a sober judgment. According to the measure of faith. Know your place. Some of us belong at the sink. Because that's about all we can do. Others of us can be trusted to work over a hot stove. Because that's what they do well. But you find your, your, your space. And you're content also with the gifts that God has given to you. You're content with your seat in the boat. Listen to this. You come, you come to Christ by faith. You come to, into His church by faith. Not by what you do, but because of what He has done for us on Calvary and His resurrection. You come by faith, but you also get your seat in the boat by faith. By grace. By grace, you fulfill your role. By grace, you fulfill your part. And listen to me. You have all of the grace you need to do your part well. You have all of the grace you need to do what God is calling you to do. So, of course, we are to have a realistic and an accurate assessment of our gifts. We're going to go on, the next time I preach out of, out of Romans 12, we'll go on uh, to, to see those things in verses 6 through 8, and we'll get very particular on what we may be called to do and equipped to do. But, but my, I want to begin by, by asking you these questions. Um, what seat has God prepared you to sit in? What seat has He prepared for you? Um, and, a, and a simple way to, ask, to answer that question is: What do you enjoy doing? What, what, what are the natural abilities that God has given you that you really enjoy doing? Um, Karen, Karen was helping Andrew with some of these, ba- these bags back here. She was, she was applying her administrative skills, and her de- she was she looked so excited. <laughs> she looks so in, in, in enthusiastic about that because she was doing what she likes to do, and what she's able to do well. Well, in the renewing of your mind, first of all, check your pride. And, and then the, verse, the passage goes on to say, we are one. We, we are one. Listen to this term, members one of another. We belong to each other. We're members one of another. The visible church um, is... The, the body of Christ and each is, is given a, a dignified task by God. Of course, the example here is of the body. The body has many parts. It has many limbs. It has many organs. It's made up of many body parts. They're not the same, but they all contribute to the unity and the effectiveness of the body. But um, in, Christ, in Christ, you belong also to each other. In Christ you, you are in the same boat. Flip, flip over with me to, to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. There's something that is very unexpected about this verse that I want you to, I want you to turn with me and, and, and let's read that together. 1 Corinthians is the next book after Romans and we'll go to the 12th chapter and the 12th verse. And it's very similar to what we're talking about here in Romans in, in one respect. Uh, Romans Romans. 12, 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, uh, though many, are one body, so it is with... Now, what are you expecting me to say? So it is, we'd expect the church. That's, that sounds like the church. One body, but many parts. Of course, that's like the church. Paul doesn't say that. He could have, but he doesn't. He says instead, though many, we are one body, so it is with Christ. If you are in Christ, you are part of his body. I had a friend, I was talking to a friend just uh, a few days, a couple of days ago, and uh, I was imploring him he said something about believing in Jesus. I was imploring him to show up at worship once in a while cuz Jesus would be pleased at that. Let's start with that, shall we? And and he made it pretty clear that he made it pretty clear that he was a better Christian than I maybe was giving him credit for. Because when he's hunting, he's thinking about the beauty of creation. I said, "Well, that's interesting. That's that's interesting." Um, do you see, how, do you see how, how our rugged individualism can, can play out? <laughs> we get real serious about that. Um, I believe in God, he said, but that doesn't mean I have to go to church. There's so much wrong with that sentence. I don't have to go to church. I can do what I want. Well, listen, listen to this, dear friends. If you believe in Christ... You have believed into Christ. Do you hear that? Ace, it's the same Greek word, into. You believe into Christ. Faith, faith connects you to Christ and therefore you are in the body. So Christians do not isolate. We congregate. We do not separate. We cooperate because we belong to each other. We need each other. The third point I want to make here is that we are, we are one, but we're many. We're one, but we are many. And you are an important part. You are a vital part. And it is so refreshing for me to be able to say, we are not all the same. I am so glad of that. Um, and, and we can also have the humility to say, and that's a good thing. We don't need to be and try to be all the same. We have different responsibilities. One of us at the sink, another of us at the stove, and so forth. In, in seventh grade, I, um, I entered uh, Mr. Silva's orderly kingdom. Um, it was our shop class. And one of the things that Mr. Silva said that I can remember, oh, that must have been 15 or 20 years ago now, right? When I was in seventh grade. Um, I, remember, I remember what he said. He said, a place for everything and everything in its place. You saw the outline for where the hammer goes. You saw the outline for where the saw goes. You saw, you knew every, you knew where every, well, we can make a, we can sort of make a a play on that and and we can say there's a place for everyone and everyone in her place. Everyone in her seat on the boat. You feel a necessary and important uh, seat in the boat, don't you? There, there was one guy called the, the coxswain. Um, and he was—I he, he, can respectfully describe him as a little guy with a big mouth. He—he was—he didn't want—it wasn't supposed to take up much weight. He was—he was, he was supposed—he would be in the in the stern of, of the of the of the of the boat there, and and he would be giving orders to the eight husky. Warsman there, and he'd have a megaphone. It looked like my CPAP, if you know what a CPAP is. It's got, a, it's got an elastic strap around here. He had, he, had, he had the megaphone that went strapped around his head, and, and it was about a 10-inch megaphone that just was right at his mouth. And, and he would be giving directions at every, every step of the way. Pick up your pace. And sometimes if it was too loud, he would be hitting the boat to give the cadence of, of how they... And then the first rower was the most important. The first one in front of him was the most important because he was the one who would set the pace that the others, that the others could follow. Remember, they're facing backwards in the boat. They are rowing blind. But they're listening to the coxswain. And they're giving all that they have. And, and after a while, uh, this crew, this team was able to row with in such synchrony to row with such evenness and such unity with each person giving their all that uh, that and, and just all all in on this task that and this didn't happen very often it didn't happen all the time but but they would the boat would begin to swing that's the language they would use the boat would swing And as I understand what would happen, that as each person is digging into that oar with all that they've got, the boat actually collapses just a little bit. And then when they let up, it actually surges forward. There's a movement. The shape of the boat actually changes. a little, And it swings. It skims through the water as they're rowing with that fluid motion, that perfect timing. And the oar is slicing into the water cleanly. The boat was flying. And in that day in Germany, uh, in, the, in the Olympics in 1936, they were in a, they were wrongly assigned the far the far uh, lane, where it, where the where the water was roughest uh, and and where the wind was harshest. They sh- they did really well in the timed, uh, time trials. They should have had a, a more central position, but they were out there where the where the race was the toughest. And their, And their lead rower, the first guy in the seat there, had been sick. he'd been in bed all week. He'd lost about 20 pounds in the last couple of weeks in this sickness. They wouldn't row without him, though. But they get in that water, and their boat swings. And they, 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 they fly across that water and they win the gold medal right in front of a frowning Adolf Hitler. Amen? <laughs> what made it work? What made it work that day? What made it work? There was one another, another rower who was in, in many ways the leader on the boat. His name was Joe. Um, Joe had been a throwaway kid, literally, literally. When he was 12 years old, he came home from school. And um, and his his mother his stepmother had so persuaded his father, we got, we got to move from here. Not only that, we got to leave Joe behind. So he came home from school. The car was running. It was packed up. His father said, "We're going, Joe, and you're not." And so they left Joe with a neighbor. He ends up living in barns, and 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 so. He's not developing a great deal of trust in other people. You hear what I'm saying? And that affected his rowing. It was difficult for him to be in that boat and to be giving it all he got because how could he trust that the other guys were working as hard as he did? So I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to give it all out. I'll give a good effort. I'm gifted, talented. Give a good effort, but not all. One of his coaches spotted it and was able to identify it. And say, the first thing you need, Joe, or what you need before we head off to Berlin, you need to be able to trust. And the boat was swinging in Berlin. Sometimes that happens in the church, too. That the boat swings for the glory of God. People are all in. And if you want to change the metaphor just a little bit, let's call, let's call this, this swinging's got, this, this got music to it. And the music is the gospel. And in, and in the church that's all in, that is swinging in accordance with the gospel, there is no isolation. There is nobody holding back. We're all in. We're all committed. Everyone's got a role. Everyone's got a seat in the boat to the glory of God. Let's think about that just for a little minute, a little, a minute here. Um, n- no, one, no one has too many oars in the water. Do you catch what I'm saying? Nobody's trying to pull an oar with, with his left arm and another oar with his right arm and another oar, oar with his foot just because no one else is there to pick up another oar. You don't do it that way. You hang on to your oar or two. And you, leave, you, leave, you encourage others to be picking up their seat in the boat and their oar. So no one has too many oars in the water. And this is some, something of what it looks like. If, if you've got a task or a role in the church, you are always looking for someone to replace you. You're always looking, you're always looking to train someone to take over that job. And, and you can share it. You can share the job. But you're looking for someone else to get their oar in the water too. You find more joy in their rowing than you do in your own. You want to find them. You want to see them at work. So no one's got too many oars in the water, but you're training other people to put their oar in the water too. The second, it's another thing, man. We can look, kids, kids, kids. You can have shorter oars, but oars nonetheless. kid size oars. We want kid size oars in the boat. Many, many ways that we can do that. I am so thankful for Ruth, Ruth Costas. Amen? Ruth Costas. Christmas program last year that involved so many of the kids at the church and people came into this building who haven't been in church for, um, in some cases, ever. And, and, and they got to see Owen Sullivan. And that was a privilege, and the other kids. But that was a really cool thing. It was a wonderful thing to, for many people. Ruth, Ruth is the one that that led that. I see other I see other kids with their kid size oars there at the door, uh, serving on the greeter teams. That is so wonderful. It's so beautiful. Um, there 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 is a, a, a mission trip being planned for Mexico, middle of next year. Wonderful time for kids to use their kid size oars and. I think you fly to Mexico, but maybe you take a boat. I don't know. But that's a great, a great project to do there. And, and it's wonderful, too. I've seen kids that are outside. When the trustees call people together for, for, um, for, for the, the work days, you sometimes see kids out there with their parents pulling weeds for the glory of God. That's a kid size oar. Any of you can do that. And, and we, have, we have kids involved in music from time to time. And, and, and just, it's, it's just wonderful. You've got, you've got an instrument. That's a kid-sized war. So listen to your trustees. Listen to the deacons. There are things that can be done. When they are, when they are, are, are explaining that there are tasks to do, um, driving someone to work or to the church who needs a ride, whatever it might be, they're, they're saying there's a seat in the boat and you can, you can fill it. Well, we'll talk about more of those things in a couple of weeks, but, uh, but I wanna, I wanna mention, someone talk about the welcome bag for a minute. This is, this, the <laughs> this, this is, uh, the welcome bags are going out today for the first time, and this is an example of the boat, of the boat swinging, if I can put it that way. The boat, the boat swinging. Let, let me tell you what I mean. Andrew borrowed, borrowed a good idea from someone about sending out those invitation cards to newcomers in the area. And then he made it a great idea a little bit later by saying, let's let's have people welcome people to the neighborhood, not just a card. And so and so the the welcome bag idea was birthed. But but Karen had to step up to help organize it. And that's where she shines. And so she can link up the dropper the, the bag dropper offers with the visits, the homes that they'll visit, it's a great, a great thing. And then dozens of people were involved in, in filling the bags. Sometimes, there are cookies in there. There's a list in there of the neat things to do in South Jersey. And so a lot of people invested in, in filling those bags. And then this past Friday, a m- number of our seniors were involved in filling the bags. About 40 of them for the next for the next couple of months. And today some people will be delivering those bags. And then tonight we'll gather and whoever is here will be able to pray God's blessing and success on, on that, on that ministry, on the people that are reading the scripture perhaps at that time, that very time that was included in their bag. People, that's, that's a boat that's got some swing to it. Some swing, some gospel harmony lubricated by the grace and the mercy of God for the glory of God. And it's a really cool thing to be in a boat that's got swing. Thank God for that. Let's pray together. God and Father, what a, what a, blessed, what a blessed thing to say that we, uh, because we belong to Jesus by faith, we belong to each other and what safety that provides for us. Safety to be honest. Safety to ask for help. Um, Safety to help each other in in even a confidential fashion. We give praise to you for that. We pray that that you would unite us more and more if there are any here who have not yet put their faith in Jesus and are not yet into Jesus, that You would work so in their lives. Build us up. Give us that that, uh, gospel swing. We pray for the glory of God. Amen.